Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sudoyle Hazard, and I'm really excited for our guest this week. We have Heather Martin. Heather is currently an integration specialist with Heritage Works, which is an archival organization. Um, how that relates to sports is, you know, you've got to take all of those old contracts and pictures and video and be able to store them in, in a manner that's like, you know, at a museum, um, but still be able to have access to the content. So think of like old videos and wanting those to be moved from VHS onto something that's digitized to be able to get a little clip for, I don't know, their Hall of Fame or something like that. So it's pretty cool. But she was previously... Um, in the athletics department at Pepperdine. Um, she moved on to join the Pistons and then was with Levy, one of the largest concessionaire companies uh, for sports arenas and facilities in the country. Um, Heather has a lot of really um, good tips on using your skill base, You know, looking at what it is that you do on a day-to-day basis with your current job. Um, and figuring out those actual skills that you need to be able to do that and applying that to say a job posting that doesn't really on its face look like you would fit it, but for the fact that you'd essentially be doing and using the same skills. Um, That's an important lesson for basically all of us to learn. And um, it's a great, great interview. So I really enjoyed it. And so I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Make sure you uh, are reaching out to us on all of our social media at LTPF pod. We are being uh, a little more active and I would love to engage with you all soon. So um, check us out, send us your thoughts. And um, here we go with the interview with Heather Martin. Hi, Heather. Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm well. It's uh, sunny in the Bay Area of California. And um, after a great week of networking with uh, fellow sports people, it's nice to be back home. Fabulous. Um, Well, I want to thank you for being on. And to get started, I'm going to ask you what I ask pretty much everybody. And that is, how did you fall in love with sports? Wow, that's that's a big question. Um, you know, I, I would say my earliest recollection of sport is being a really, really bad t-ball and uh, peewee soccer player. <laughs> um, the pictures that my parents have are hilarious. But, you know, I think the most fond memories actually don't stem from playing. They, they stem from watching with friends and family. Um, I remember getting up on Saturday mornings and watching... Um, gosh, now I'm blanking on the name of it, but the NBA program that was based for kids, I'm totally blanking, but I watched it with my brother every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, that's how I fell in love with David Robinson and the Spurs, which randomly growing up in Northern California is probably the only Spurs fan that they didn't <laughs> know that they had. Um, but then past that, uh, I also was a cheerleader in junior high and high school. And I think I was more focused on what was happening, wins and losses, you know, points, fast breaks, touchdowns, drives. Um, I was more focused on what was going on on the field or the court than, um, 
than what was happening with who was calling cheers or what we were supposed to be doing on the sidelines. Um, and I just, I, I just always remember enjoying watching it and just feeling the camaraderie of, of watching it with people that I cared about. That's great. Did you, um, aside from cheerleading, did you participate in any other sports in middle school and high school? Uh, I believe in seventh grade, I tried volleyball and, um, I think, I think it, I think it was a, a, a charity selection on behalf of the coach. I, I believe that was the, the step into my cheerleading career as I was cheering from the bench for my teammate. <laughs> That's great. I remember, um, one year, I think I was, oh gosh, it must've been like maybe eighth grade. I tried, I was a goalie for field hockey. <laughs> And like, I don't know, I, I was this tiny little thing. And, and for whatever reason, I made a point of running with the team when they did warmups, whereas like, I guess the other goalie wouldn't do that. It's hard. You're in all goalie gear. Like, what do you do? Right, right. And I would still do it. Um, Over, overachiever, you're trying to intimidate. Yeah, or something. I don't know. It was just weird. I think like all the cool girls played um, field hockey. So I felt like, well, I'll try and... Not a single thing I've ever done in my life is normal. Like I always do it a little <laughs> differently than everyone, and that was that was my take with that. So, um, when uh, you were trying to figure out, you know, what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go to school, um, how did you decide on Pepperdine? Well, if you've seen Pepperdine's campus, it's not difficult. <laughs> uh, um, a good friend of mine teaches there <laughs> right now, and yes, it's beautiful. Um, so my father grew up in Southern California. So I grew up, um, at the opposite end of the state, but grew up going to Southern California multiple times a year to visit extended family. And when I started thinking about college, um, at first, well, I always knew I was going to get out of where I grew up. Most of, well, my brother, um, had stayed in the area and gone to school and, um, God bless him. He's a high school principal now. So like he's doing very well, but while most people stayed in our area, I knew very early on that I wanted to kind of make my own way and, and get out of there. And um, <clears throat> at first I started looking actually back east at really small um, liberal arts colleges. And I don't know if winter scared me, but um, <laughs> very quickly that shifted to, you know, what Southern California is like a nice distance, but it's familiar because I've been there before. And um, looked at schools like UCLA, um, Santa Barbara, Cal Poly. But um, when I went to Pepperdine's campus, and all jokes aside, based on how beautiful it is, um, there was something about the size of it coming from a high school of about 800 people. The size of it fe felt more um, comparable to me of like, I could make my own way. I could be known by my name. Um, I mean, this is probably dating myself, but I remember my friends that were at UCLA, um, you know, you wrote your social security number on everything. Like you didn't have a name. You were a, you were your social security number. You were your number, you were your student ID number. Um, and that just felt a little too big for me. Um, I don't know if I was intimidated by it or it just didn't feel like, that I could jump in and be comfortable right away. Mm -hmm. And with Pepperdine, I, I felt that. Um, again, it's a beautiful campus, but most of the campuses in Southern California are. So um, I felt like it was a it was it was level in that regard. But I just there was something that was comfortable about the campus and the people to me. Um, and when I when I got in on early admission, I 
I accepted right away. And in fact, I think I received a sweatshirt from the, the president of the time because I was the first one to like write back and accept my acceptance. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I guess I could put that on my resume. That's a, that's a claim to fame. That's good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, you, um, you focused on public relations. So what was the thought (laughs) in terms of like where you wanted to go with that? Sure. So I actually started my time at Pepperdine, um, as a history major thinking, um, political science would actually be a route for me. And, Oddly enough, um, when we were on campus for my orientation, which um, at the time took place like middle of summer, my father um, in his <laughs> in a way that um, if anybody knows my dad would laugh and nod, um, basically looked at me and said, so what are you going to do for money? And <laughs> I was like, wait, what? what? What do you mean? And so basically the arrangement was, um, you know, any any spending money, any fun money had to come from my own um, my own work and, and, and gas money and, uh, car insurance, all of those ancillary items. And, um, I started, I went to student employment and they had this giant binder of job descriptions, you know, that were posted across campus for students. And most of them were, you know, reshelved books in the library, um, you know, admin financial assistance. And one was an admin for the athletic department. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do a desk job to make some money, it'd be really cool if it was around something that sounds fun and sounds like something I care about and that I could be interested in versus wasn't, you know, super interested in like library science. Um, And so once I, I got that job and started working in there, um, Parallel to that, simultaneously, I realized very quickly that while history is of the utmost interest to me, I didn't really know what I was going to do if I got a political science degree. And as I started looking around the athletic department, um, a major in communication seemed like it fit. So it was almost like the the kismet lineup of uh, discovering all that the athletics industry had to offer and that there were things for non-athletes and non-coaches to do um, in very important roles. It was really my first like eye-opening moment that this whole industry existed for people like me. And um, so I shifted majors to public relations. <clears throat> At the time, there wasn't a, a marketing major. So I think that was that was pretty much my closest um the closest I could come to getting something a little bit more general in communications was um, a PR major. So I don't think I ever intended to be like a, uh, um, an SID or um, true PR, but definitely with a sports minded uh, look with classes on event planning, on writing, on, on speaking um, and, and just overall communication and representation of a brand. It seemed like it fit the best to, uh, lifting what I was already doing as a student worker. Which is pretty incredible. I mean, I don't know many people who stay in the same part-time job while they're in <laughs> college, right? Yeah, it, you, yeah. Um, I, I did a lot of work with our athletic department and I think I switched from, <laughs> I was like ticket sales, like in mm-hmm. the ticket booth for football games. Mm-hmm. And then I moved over into the athletic marketing side. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then like I had, I don't know, I had like three different jobs every semester, um, (laughs) like going through the whole thing. But um, you stayed for your entire tenure there. And um, and then when you graduated, you stayed on. Absolutely. And and that did that turn into full time work then? Yes. So, um, you know, it, it, it just underscores a lesson that I think all of us know in the industry of if you put in hard work and, and show passion, you're most oftenly rewarded. And I spent every waking hour that I wasn't in class in the athletics department, mostly doing, um, front office work, um, closely aligned with the, um, associate AD and SWA doing scholarship paperwork and, um, and financial aid work, but, uh, also working events, um, doing volleyball stats. Again, this, this being on the sidelines when you can't play is seems to be a theme in my, in my career. Um, but halfway through my senior year of college, the front office administrator, um, she resigned her position, I think, to move, you know, for family reasons. And our athletic director, who I had become close to, came to me and, and said, if you'll commit to becoming our new admin, you know, administra- administrator um, in the front office, um, when you graduate, I'll just fill it with a temp until you're in, until you can take it full time. And that was probably like March of my senior year, maybe February. And I agreed. And they filled it indeed with a temp. And I, t- I think I took a week off after graduation and, and then was, yeah, rolling full time and then, um, progressed every year or two with a promotion and, and, you know, was again, very much rewarded for the work that I put in. And, but I'm so grateful that they saw my excitement and saw my dedication and, and again, rewarded me for it. So yeah. while, while timing is everything, um, I don't, I don't take away from the work that I put in either. Yeah, of course. What were um, what were some of the things that you did when you you know were a part time you know uh, assistant uh, you know work student worker? What are sure. some of the things that you did that um, you think were valuable to to that department that you know increased your chances of that opportunity? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> one of the things, and it sounds really simple, was as a, you know, as working some of the time in the in the front office, I got to know all the coaches. I got to know some of the student athletes. Um, but a, a big thing was, you know, I'm sorting mail. I'm answering and directing phone calls from the, <laughs> the general public. <laughs> it taught me, it gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of the nuances that you wouldn't necessarily learn if you were just very focused in one um, area. Mm -hmm. So I think I started very quickly with a holistic understanding of how NCAA sport operated, um, at least at Pepperdine. And it allowed me to forge relationships with all of the people in the department, both front office and coaching sides, so that I felt like I was part of the department and they thought I was part of the department um, while I was just a student worker. Um, very famously, the uh, <clears throat> during the transition summer between my freshman and sophomore year, we hosted the uh, women's or division one women's tennis championships. Now they're combined always with men's, but back then they were separate and they, this shows you how small a department is. It is too. They, they gave me opportunity that 
in the NCAA handbook, I'm, I was the lead person overseeing the, um, uh, like the players, uh, like break room, if you will. So every morning on my way to the tournament, I would, you know, shop at the grocery store and get bagels and croissants and <laughs> fresh fruit, etc. But at, when I came back, so I basically stayed about a month extra, um, in the summer to, to help run that. And when I came back that fall, the women's tennis coach at the time was like, I thought you graduated. Why are you still here? He couldn't believe that they had let a freshman basically run the the tournament hospitality. So he just assumed I was a, you know, a graduating senior that they let stay around for another month. Um, so he was like, wait, why, why are you still, what are you still doing here? But, um, I, again, you know, I think my dedication and hard work let me have those opportunities, but it also just me being open to doing volleyball stats, doing financial aid paperwork, answering phones, running a tournament hospitality. It, it showed I was willing to do it, but I also learned so many different parts of the department that as I, as I grew in my position in the department, I could always sympathize or empathize with other with coaches and what they were going through because I understood what their process was. Um, so I think it, it allowed me to build really deep, um, and great relationships that helped me accomplish a lot, um, both through trust-based relationships as well as, um, them already knowing without a doubt that I was going to work hard for them. I think it's always telling when someone is curious about an organization, um, and not just their role, right? So, so true. One so of the, true. One of the things that, I mean, I think back to even when I was just a hostess or a waitress, right? Mm-hmm. I was always curious about how to do everything else. And right. um, in my role now, it's kind of the same thing. I try and learn about like the processes that the different departments go through and having that like overarching, you know, like 30,000 foot view of how everything fits together can be so helpful. Absolutely. It's something that I think it sounds like such common sense, but I remember when I got to the Pistons, I was met with this large group of specialists and they were amazing specialists, but it was interesting that, and and this isn't to say there, there weren't other people with understanding like me, but I think I was able to jump in so quickly because I was able to say like, I've sold tickets like, tell me your process and I'll tell you mine over here in community relations. Or I did marketing. Tell me your process. I'll tell you mine. Oh, I sold corporate partnerships and, and fulfilled and activated. Explain to me, you know, the nuances here. But but you're so right. Um, in this world of very specialized people, which are needed in, in some roles, I, I do think there's a an overall lack of people that both have a, a complete understanding of, of how things work, even like you said, at a, at a 10,000 foot view and understand how things should be interconnected if they're not. Um, it's it's always a great thing when you find somebody who's curious or open to try new roles versus somebody who comes in and is almost like pigeonholing themselves, not understanding that in this world, we all take you know steps sideways to step upwards. Um, so that's the, the, the generalist is somebody, or at least somebody who started as a generalist 
is somebody who I, I always gravitate towards probably because I see a lot of my background in them. Yeah, for sure. Um, you also had the opportunity um, while you were working um, as an assistant uh, to the athletics director to get your MBA, uh, yes. which is awesome. And um, and there you you went a little more traditional with the uh, the management degree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. General. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I took the one accountant and one finance class that I was required. And I, I don't think it, it looks very pretty on my, uh, my report card. I think a fantastic lesson I learned there was if I ever get to a position where I need an accountant or a finance person, it's not me. I will hire them. Right. <laughs> so that's where a specialist. I'm all about it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and I think it's also important to know your, you know, those areas where you might be a little weaker so that you do you know, bolster yourself with people who have that strength. Absolutely. Completely agree. Or like you said, be curious and ask as many questions knowing you have a lot to learn versus assuming, you know, oh, I took one class in grad school. I know, I've got accounting. I know how this works. It's like, no, I go and being like, explain it to me like I'm five, you know, like, right. um, I'm like, show it to me on an abacus, please. Right. I, I, you know, uh, I have the the lovely honor of putting together comp plans for sales and, um, <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, sometimes I, I, it's funny, I've done this at now three different types of companies and mm-hmm. every type of company, it's just, you know, some, it's, they're crazy to me. You know, I, I can't even imagine. Commission plans are crazy to me, and um, <laughs> it, and it, you know, it's always funny. And so, um, when whatever scheme is is put together, I'm always like, okay, I need you to explain from like the very basics how you think <laughs> this is going to work. Yes. And I mean, and literally, like, take me away from where I am now. Like, I had to do that when I was in telecom too, and I was like, wait, you're trying. What are you trying to get at? here. Right, right. Tell me the end goal and let's work backwards. And then like, how do you think what you're doing is going to make them do what you want them to do? So like, but Mm -hmm. when it comes to like, you know, crazy formulas, I'm like, well, let's just step back here for a second. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's been a while for me. When you, when you see a square root character, you're like, A, do we need this? And B, what are you trying to achieve with it? (laughs) Right. right. Um, so when you were at Pepperdine, and I know we're sticking on Pepperdine for a while. No, that's um, fine. I, I have very fond memories. So you, you were there it's, for it's like a walk down memory lane. <laughs> well, you were there for quite some time, and yeah. um, and and during a really interesting time, not just um, for Pepperdine and not just for sports, but really the world. You know, it's when the internet really started. Yes. Um, jumping into everyday life and, um, and And social media. And so I was about to say, and then like, as you were promoted into director of marketing and, um, assistant AD for marketing, you know, that's when social media was starting to take off. So how did, you know, at the very beginning, when (laughs) we went from like DOS based email, email systems, (laughs) When we went from sending letters attached to pigeons and now we're at Twitter. (laughs) But, you know, um, there were so many different things that I think a lot of people take for granted that Mm -hmm. weren't ever contemplated, right? Um, Absolutely. Like 
emails generally mm-hmm. and Absolutely. and getting everybody to be consistent with like your signature block. Mm-hmm. Weird to think about yes. now since that's kind of a basic thing that happens. But, you know, how did you really get a handle on all of that and try and get the buy-in and, um, and, and get everyone on the same page? Sure. So, I mean, I'd say twofold. One, um, my general like OCD habits kind of kick in that when I see things that, that should be alike and they're not, my brain immediately tries to organize them and say like, wait, that one doesn't look the same as these other over here. We need to fix that. So, um, we were also, uh, working on kind of our brand package, um, in the time that I was there. So that, I think luckily instilled this idea of like, Hey, we have, um, some new marks. Let's make sure we're using them correctly. And in every place that we can, you know, kind of that, like, let's show it off. Yeah. So, um, you know, sending several communications and signature line and, and, you know, and the only way that you can get coaches to, to buy in, you know, usually teasing them or joking with them of like, Hey, um, are you not doing this because you don't know how to use a computer and you need me to do it for you? (laughs) Which the um, answer usually is yes. Uh, Well, at least back then, maybe not now. (laughs) Absolutely. But you know, it was always a work in progress and, and I think always attacking it with the idea of like, Hey, I know you're busy and I know a signature line isn't, isn't necessarily like you're, you know, the thing that you want to focus on today when you've, you know, you've got a match tonight or you've got a, a game this afternoon, you know, I, I get it. So I was always like, how can, how can I help you get us to where we need to be from a marketing standpoint? Um, the other thing that, that was great is I was fortunate enough to um, first hire a former men's tennis player named Kevin Brzezinski, who came in with amazing passion, not only for Pepperdine athletics, but just, to get as much done as possible. And so I was really able to like lean on him and let him run with most of the um, in-game promotions, but, but helped me a lot with marketing. And so while I had oversight or, you know, would cross check things with him, I was very lucky that, you know, he made our department look amazing. Um, And a lot of that, again, it just came from, from innate passion and, and desire to drive things forward. Um, he, he stepped away and and left for personal reasons. And I had the opportunity to hire, um, a young woman named, um, Catherine Williams. And she was a really non-traditional hire. Um, as a lot of universities do, you usually look either on campus or somebody just graduating. Um, you kind of look in your immediate circle and I wanted to kind of step outside of the bubble with this hire. And I actually found Catherine, um, she was finishing up an internship with the Atlanta Falcons. And as you mentioned, uh, we were really getting into Twitter. Facebook, I think, had probably just gone from you had to have a .edu address to you could utilize it as a marketing tool. Um, and she came in, and I remember in, in her phone interview, part of what she did was she spoke with Atlanta Falcons players about how to utilize and how to not utilize social media as for their personal brands. And I was like, tell me again what this Twitter thing is. And there she is, you know, teaching it to professional NFL athletes. And I was like, this is somebody that we need on our, on our team to help really move us in that area. 
Um, and so while I had helped with a redesign of our website and again, understood a, a great broad base in putting our brand forward and brand consistency, again, I, I learned from somebody who was amazingly in front of the understanding of, of the power of social media. And I mean, she taught, not only did she help manage it and take it leaps and bounds for Pepperdine athletics as a whole, but, you know, she taught me personally, like just the way I was explaining that I would go to coaches and like switch their signature line. You know, she came in and was like driving on the computer next to me. Like, here's how you send a tweet. And I mean, if you probably scroll back through my Twitter account, I'm sure the first ones are, are, you know, real pieces of Pulitzer prize winning material. They're probably like, (laughs) what am I doing here? Um, but I, I think, again, that that theme of I remained curious and then, you know, hire good people that are that understand something that you don't and ask questions and have them be 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 excited to have them teach you. And even if they work under you or beside you, like learn from them and lean on them. And, and I was so fortunate to to have both Kevin and, and Catherine on the team with me to really move marketing forward in, in a in a time frame that, like you said, went from, you know, carbon copy paper, you know, <laughs> copies of everything to like, we're scanning scholarships. I mean, that's in, in the side, in, in the time that I was there, we legit went from typing scholarship forms on carbon paper with a typewriter to when I left, we were encouraging student athletes to scan their I think the NCAA had like just allowed you to go from faxing in a national letter of intent to you could scan it and email it. Um, I mean, that's how far we went in a, I guess, between my my part time and full time there 12 years, which just it, it flew by. And, and the the leaps and bounds we moved in technology and figuring out how to apply it in the different areas of, of the athletic department. It was crazy. One of the most annoying things about wearing contacts is when I think I have enough contacts to last me for a while and then I forget that I don't and oopsie, my prescription has run out, which means I have to go to the doctor and that's annoying. Simple Contacts is a great solution for that problem. It's super easy. I went online and did it myself. The vision test is self-guided and takes less than five minutes. And that's if you have an expired prescription. If you have an unexpired one, you can just upload it and order your contacts. But this was designed by doctors and licensed ophthalmologists review every single test. And it was just super easy. The vision test was only 20 bucks, which compared to the 150 I would normally pay at my doctor is phenomenal. And they'll ship, you know, standard shipping is free and you get everything to your door. Um, We have a special offer, of course. Uh, You get $30 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash LTPF and then enter the code LTPF at checkout. That's $30 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash LTPF and entering the code LTPF at checkout. And just as a reminder, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Simple Contacts will only test your current prescription to make sure it still helps you see 2020 and renew that prescription. They won't write a completely new one or do a full exam of eye health. So simplecontacts.com slash LTPF and enter the code LTPF at checkout for your $30 off contacts. I just think like when I first started college, we started at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. We were literally using a DOS-based email system. 
Yeah. And, and, you, and you had to you had to be plugged in with like a giant uh, long Ethernet cable yeah. Ethernet in your and I had one of those iMacs, you know, with like the like the bubble computer. And I thought I was the coolest person around because I, I had a you were one. you were. Uh, well, I was. Yeah, I was uh. sure it probably matched my um, bedding, too, or something. Oh, yeah. Something that you needed. As right. A college student. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like we mentioned the signature block. And people listening are probably like, I don't have anything to do with my signature block. Well, now you don't. Like that's something that from like a system level gets figured out, right? And like your IT team handles that. But back in the day, every single person- that wasn't coming from your IT department back in the day. And and I remember at my last company that I worked at, like I'd have salespeople- just making up their titles. Um, That's always fun. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then what they were calling the company, you know, oh, so. It, right. So I'm like, we're not Granite LLC. Like, where are you getting this? <laughs> and I'm like, we're, oh, yeah. I'm like, our legal name is Granite Telecommunications LLC or we're Granite. Like, what are you doing? And even They're that like, telecommunications is just too long to type. I gave up. I shortened it. You should be fine with that. Well, right. And, and for me, I remember being like, I don't understand how we can't make this all the same. And, right. and I'm sure even just within the, you know, and that was like you know, only three or four years ago. This is still mm-hmm. like kind of new to it's, be able to do that on yeah. a system wide level. So, um, and at UMass, <laughs> UMass is great because what red are we, right? Like mm-hmm. red is the mm-hmm. hardest color. And I know that now with where I am, it's the hardest yeah, color yeah. to match because it looks- right. t- you, got, you got to get those Pantone numbers. Right. And so people would just be making stuff up and yeah, it was, it's great. But the social media stuff, you know, to even at that point in time when, when you had Catherine coming on, I mean, that's still really early in the game to have somebody to have that has that knowledge about, know. you know, teaching people like what to do and what not to do. I mean, Amy Jo Martin was probably, you know, the first one that started doing that in sport with Shaq. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's incredible to be able to get someone like that to come on board and, mm-hmm. and streamline They're They're still today. We need, you know, to give, talks and and training to professional athletes and I mean I mean more staff. so I think you know depending upon the sport you still have people that um you know are our our age uh, or older who are still somewhat uncomfortable with how social media can help them you know they're looking at it from a you know their their agent their publicist is encouraging them to get involved in social media and then you have all the way down to people that are much younger than us are, are, you know, coming in either into college or or in college who are ruining their prospective brand by something they tweeted five years ago and they're, they're not getting it. And so you have this like strange, uh, I don't even know the word, you know, like just this like strange world in front of you of social media that people are still not understanding how to grasp. And they're still not understanding that it's viewed by all with the capability of being viewed by all. And, and then the biggest message that I don't know how to beat it into people's heads anymore is it lasts forever. Even if you delete it, somebody screenshots it. 
Um, and it's just, it's the, the power, getting people to understand the power of a brand, whether that's a signature line and consistency for a, a global brand, all the way down to your personal brand as an athlete or as a professional who's trying to establish their career, there are tools that can help you, but they're the same ones that can also hinder you. So it's like, again, be curious, understand. It's, it's not to say that you won't make, you know, sidesteps or missteps, but learn more about it before you engage with it. Because there's just, I mean, as, as you know, and hopefully you haven't had to deal with it too, too closely, like all those blunders that are almost like a parody role after a movie of the, the number of social media people that have been fired for doing something badly, the number of athletes that get publicly scourged for, you know, saying something horrible um, on social media. It's, it's a make it or break it area that, again, people are still not utilizing to its fullest or they're completely abusing it. Well, people, you know, let's take athletes, right? Athletes mm-hmm. are coming into the pros having been on social media since they were 14, 13. I mean, right. and we're not educating children enough no. about, and, and and this is important, whether or not you're an athlete, right? Because as you say, there are our personal brands. And I'm the first person to say I've gotten two of my jobs somehow because of Twitter, but at the same, same, but at the same point in time, don't do what I did on Twitter because right. I, I mean, I, and every once in a while now it still happens. I've gotten a lot better, but like, I, you know, every there's a rant, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, someone does something probably coming out of Washington and, <laughs> and like, you mean? <laughs> I wonder, but like so, for a very long time, it was, for me, it was a conversation tool, um, mm-hmm. a way to connect. You know, I was on really early. That's why I have my name, my first name, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but there weren't as many people on, people weren't right. paying as much attention to it. I could do that stuff without there being repercussions, but that's not mm-hmm. the same world we live in now. And, um, and I've, at one point I went back and, and deleted everything, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's gone forever, but yeah. You know, it's not something that's going to pop up now. And not that I did anything terrible, right? I'm not going on and like... In comparison, right. Right. I'm not espousing, you know, horrible, uh, racist or bigoted type things. But like, you know, I have a habit of dropping an F-bomb and I have a habit of Mm -hmm. maybe just being a little too sassy. And and so now I try to be a little more mindful, but, you know, I still... Every once in a while, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, I always, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I think we like, this is something that parents and teachers and anybody who mentors, um, and in, you know, interacts with young kids needs to make sure that they're explaining and showing the real life consequences, uh, and also the real life benefits Absolutely. To the use of, right? So consequences are the ones that you've already mentioned, right? And you could see them every day. And then the benefits, you know, you just point to like the Parkland students and mm-hmm. how well they've done with it. Absolutely. Or, or you mentioned in, in, in a non maybe polarizing way, um, you and I both have that in common that connecting through Twitter has secured us employment. And I mean, that's how I 
jumped from Pepperdine to the Pistons was I connected with as, as you know, as a sidestep as it sounds, I connected with the, at the time, the head of social media for the Celtics. And he coached me through a lot of, um, opportunity. And, and when I saw the posting for a community relations manager position, I was like, Hey, can, you know, is this the same? It's not the same language as collegiate athletics, but it sounds like I could do what it's stating. And not only did he coach me through that, but then went out on a limb and, you know, outside of social media, outside of the internet connected, um, my resume to somebody in, in his, on his team that, or, or I should say within the Celtics that knew somebody over at the Pistons, which got my resume put on a pile of considerations versus the giant pile of ones that just get submitted on the internet. And it's those, I think to your point, it's, it's understanding that while the internet and social media are, you know, live in the ether, they have real life benefits and repercussions that come out of the computer, whether that be, opportunity for employment, whether that be losing employment because you did something wrong, whether that be, you know, sparking conversation or sparking activism, um, because you, you stand for something on there, but it's getting people to understand that it doesn't just always stay in the computer where it originated. It, It has real life benefits and consequences. That's like you said, it's, it's a big lesson that I don't know if it's the people, you know, especially young people don't understand but it's, I don't think because they're, you know, you can't, you can't teach or force maturity. Right. Real life usually and, and, and reps encourage that. And so I think you just have a lot of people that are being put in the opportunity to, to establish life altering moments, but they're doing it at an age without the maturity to understand how life altering what they're saying or doing is good or bad. Right. Um, so that's, what's kind of the, Again, the good and the absolutely horrifying part about the internet is you have you have these life altering tools in, in people's hands who don't understand what those repercussions can truly mean for a, a full life ahead. Sure, and you know I I don't want us to sound all like scary to people because <laughs> or like get off my lawn. I right, mean, that's kind of <laughs> right because let's be honest, like you're 15, you're 16, you're 20, and you make a mistake and you you know, feel those consequences, you have a life ahead of you with which to show that you've learned and taken steps to rectify or apologized and owned up to it. So, you know, uh, I think, you know, anybody who's listening, who's like, well, this sounds great. I'm just going to stay away (laughs) from it. You know, just be, you know, be aware, um, learn as much as you can. And also know that when you do make a mistake, that shit happens and we've all made, I can't even tell you how many mistakes I've made, you know, and, and just try and learn from it and go on. I mean, there are very few situations that are unrecoverable from, right? Very true. (laughs) Uh, The other thing, the other thing I would say is go into it with a mindset and it, it, like you said, it's, it's probably more in the not fun category, but instead of thinking of it as scary, think of it as like, this is me. How, how do I represent me through social media? So for me, I like publicly, I always think about the lens of like, what would I be willing to say in front of my mom? You know, so I like, I keep cursing to a minimum, but I'll, you know, (laughs) I'll throw, I'll throw in a damn it. Um, 
I'm fine to stand for things that are good, but I, I keep, you know, I, I absolutely will have an opinion on there, but I keep it. I try to keep it as professional as possible. It's that it's something that I'll always stand by, or to your point, I could apologize and correct it easily. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of what I always went into it of like, I'm unlike my, uh, unlike my Facebook, which is, you know, private, unlike my Instagram, which is private because those are viewable to my friends and family. Um, for my Twitter, I knew I was always going to have it public, but if it was public, this is the brand, this is the version of me I want to portray. And it's not that I'm like so unprofessional otherwise, but right. I, I had that lens of like, this is something that I have to be willing to stand by um, from a professional standpoint. And I, I get it again, I was jumping in there in my mid to late twenties, not 14, but I think there's a certain lens that, that even a young person could look through of like, you know, what are, what would you be okay with showing and scrolling through in a job interview? What would you, what would you be okay with showing and scrolling through in front of your principal, um, parents, you know, who, who are those guiding like forces that scare you a little bit or that you're, you're scared to disappoint, look at it through how would they view what you're saying and posting? Um, you know, that's one way, again, you can have tons of fun with it. I love sharing like mm -hmm. goofy, crazy, material or things that make you smile or laugh, but I also love posting things that make you think. And I love posting my thoughts about those. Um, but I think that's one way that maybe young people can start to without completely feeling like, well, this is no fun. I'm going to get off of this. Just right. give yourself some sort of guardrail to try to measure against so that you're not, um, a all over the map from a personal brand perspective, but B that you have something to kind of like judge yourself against when you think you might be going down a rabbit hole that, that potentially could be detrimental in the future. You, you did something like this recently. Um, uh, the other day you tweeted about, um, and I wasn't there and um, maybe next year I'll go, but at the world Congress of sports, someone was speaking mm -hmm. and he talked about how, um, social activism should basically be a part of every um, partnership somehow, you know. Absolutely. Or, and so you you did it in a nice way. Do you mind um, kind of sharing what that was about and, um, you know, what he was talking about more? Sure. Um, I believe his name was Glenn, but I'm totally blanking. I'm trying to find the tweet. Um, it was a gentleman that works for a company called Everfi who – I worked with it a tiny bit through the NBA when I was with the Pistons, but basically they work with um, corporations and teams to create um, literature and courses, educational courses to teach life skills for the most part to, um, to young people. And so he gave a really, really rousing, but concise speech to this room of sport and brand professionals at the uh, Sports Business Journal World Congress of Sport. And he basically was stating that not only should you consider including socially impactful um, elements to every partnership that you build, but like it's, it's not a nice to have, it's a need to have. And you should always be looking through that lens. And I think for so many of our corporate partnership um, teammates that are out there, they're always at the end of the day, they're, they're, whether they say it or not, they're always focused on 
well, they should be focused on good partnerships, but they're always focused on, you know, driving revenue. Like that's their core function. And this idea that it's a okay to attach revenue through socially conscious methodology. Like, I don't think we should be shy about that because you can, he, what he was showing was you can make actual major impact by, by doing that in partnerships. And you have, I mean, that, that room was the perfect example of it. You had sports people and you had brand people and all of them were nodding at what this man was saying. And it's like, well, you all share money. So share money, (laughs) share money and share your platform and share your brand around something that makes social change in a positive way. Um, And again, we know that, you know, there's always going to be signage and there's going to be media buys and there's going to be, you know, other things, but just getting them to think about the fact that like, we all have things that are, that we care about personally and our corporations care about from, you know, their, their standpoint and places and community. And it's like, how do you think about getting together around those? Because again, you're going to be spending that money and time together anyways. Think about the amazing change and progress you can make together. And it's kind of that thing where like, is doing something good for, you know, is doing something nice for another person really like all altruistic because it makes you feel so good. Um, technically it is a little bit selfish because, you know, you get those like endorphin boosts and it's mm-hmm. like, imagine doing that for your company. Like you get the positive brand awareness of doing great things. And so he was, it was just a great call to action um, that I thought was the most concise and frankly, easily done of all the challenges and all of the disruption conversations and diversity and inclusion, which is so important to talk about, like considering social impact when you build partnerships across brand and across sport, it's like, why aren't you doing this in every partnership? It it was just like such a no brainer. And hopefully, you know, some people with decision-making power is bigger than me. Um, (laughs) Hopefully they, they, hopefully they took away that same message and, um, and kind of, you know, personal challenge of like, man, he's right. There isn't a reason we shouldn't be talking about this with every single partner. Business calls are on the rise, so don't miss the chance to connect and bring in new customers. With Ruby Receptionist, all your calls are guaranteed to be answered live by a team of friendly, professional remote receptionists, helping you secure customers and build trust. Ruby is the only live remote receptionist service dedicated to helping business owners turn rings into relationships. From their offices in Portland, Oregon, Ruby delivers exceptional experiences to your callers by answering calls live in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, addressing common questions, making follow-up calls, and more. Just like an in-house receptionist, but at a fraction of the cost. Most importantly, They sound like they're sitting in your office. To learn more or to get started, visit them online at callruby.com or better yet, give them a call. 888-340-RUBY. That's 888-340-RUBY. I love social media as a tool for being able to share tidbits from events like that because, you know, World Congress of Sport is a really large event, but it's, you know, in LA, it's mm-hmm. not the cheapest of things to go to. And honestly, who has the time? Um, right. you, you, you have to literally carve out that. And, um, 
but, budget for it. And yeah, budget, absolutely. yeah. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. I, I always love being able to follow a hashtag of an event and, and to get the tidbits from it. And you do a good job with that. So thank oh, you. Thanks. And just circling back, I just found the tweet. It was uh, Brian Cooley. He's the president of Sports and Entertainment Group Forever Fi. It's E-V-E-R. FI. So it's a great organization and, and company that does a lot of good. Um, when you, you made an interesting point when you were talking about your connection at the Celtics and um, looking at this, you know, job posting and saying, huh, there are different words, but I feel like I can do those things. Um, <laughs> and I, I love that you brought that up because I think so often People get caught up in like a title or in a department or in um, the actual or or in our world, a league. Right. Or a league. I'm unwilling to consider MLS. Right. Um, Or like the specific actions Mm -hmm. in it and whether or not they've done those specific things as opposed Mm -hmm. to like the skills that they learned and have from something else. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you, and you've done this throughout your career, taken, you know, those um, job postings that don't necessarily on the face, quick glance, <laughs> look like they make sense as, you know, progression, but, um, but you've managed to, to, you know, go there and be successful. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> it's, again, it's, I think the fact that um, I had somebody like Peter Stringer who, was with the Celtics now with, um, uh, UFC, he, it it made me feel safe in it. So in a lot of cases, I think, you know, people should look for and seek out mentorship to, you know, have a, a sounding board, but he made it safe for me to really like double down on the fact that I'm, you know, I was helping at Pepperdine with alumni events and fundraiser events. And I'm looking at this job description for community relations. That's talking about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, executing community events. And I'm like, not the same, but for those of us who have run events, they're the same, right. you know, you're dealing with a different public, but you know, a, a, um, and I, I hate to be this much of a generalist, but a, uh, a demanding alum or donor might actually be harder to corral and deal with than several, you know, young people excited to see a, an NBA basketball player at a clinic. Right. You know, those you're you're managing people, you're managing a brand in an event space, and you're you're being organized to to follow a a, a basically event script, and you're looking to achieve something within a a short time frame, and you're and and looking again to to drive a brand's message and goal forward while you're there. So. To me, again, it, it took, I think, somebody in the know to confirm what my thoughts were. But after that, I started to, as you so nicely put it, open my eyes to basically say, like, okay, these are these are just skills that I have that I've learned that or that I have innately. They can be applied in a multitude of ways. And that's, you know, when I when I left uh, the Pistons and went to Chicago and spent time with a concessionaire um, with Levy, you know, a lot of people were like joking around like, oh, are you becoming a chef now? And it's like, no, but I'm working on account management, which is basically at the if you boil that down, it's being organized. It's being, you know, having positive relationships with 
people internal and external of your organization. It's representing your organization and it's moving a message and brand forward. And I'm like, man, I've done that before. I did, you know, I built relationships in the community in Detroit, both on a very small scale with people that, you know, had a cause all the way up to civic and and community leaders who were on the grand stage and um, were building relationships and understanding the brand of our, our athletes there. And again, it was just driving these parallels of when you, when you read a job description, it's like, what does it take to do what they're asking? Now, in some cases, they're going to have something very specific. Like I, I made the joke about cooking food. I would never look on a, on a job description. And if it says like chef must have experience cooking, I'm never going to draw a parallel of like, I cook dinner for my husband and I, I could do this. Right. But there are certain things that, you know, you, you need to understand where those, um, where that wiggle room exists, but there are certain areas where the core function is like, talk about what you're, what you've learned in that position. Talk about what skills you bring to the table versus holding so tightly to this was my title or this was my department. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the things I've, I've, when I talk to young people today or mentor them, you know, they often say like, can you take a look at my resume? And so often, if you look under the bullet points under their, <clears throat> their positions, it's just like, here's what I did. It's very transactional sounding. I'm like, that's great. But what do you, what's the point that you want to make by putting that there? You know, if it's like, oh, I, I sold, you know, I worked in retail, you know, it's like sold jeans. And it's like, well, you know, did you work the cash register? It's like, well, yeah. It's like, okay, so you were trustworthy because you were handling money. You know, you were, you were in front of customers, you were assisting them with potentially like finding jeans that fit them well. You were being a salesperson. Like what are all the core values and things that you could pull through to talk about versus just being like, oh, this is a throwaway position. I, you know, I worked at the Gap um, when I was in high school. It's like, no, you learned a skill set. You need to pull those forward, not just the line items of like worked here, worked here, worked here. You know, don't make your resume look transactional. Make it look like here's how I grew. Here's how I learned. These are the core skills that you want in an employee. And I'm that person. And and that's not just for people trying to get their first big kid job, right? I mean, no, this is something that no. we need to remember as as we grow in our careers and to continue to have our eyes open. I mean, listen, I'm I'm an attorney, right? So it's really mm-hmm. easy for me to get pigeonholed in like the the general um, title progression, mm-hmm. right? Only looking Absolutely. at, well, I'm assistant general counsel here. So at a minimum, I have to be a deputy general counsel or general counsel moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to thinking like, okay, so yes, I'm a lawyer and I do really good, which means I'm a good advocate. So mm-hmm then maybe if it's not a general counsel role, it's, you know, head of advocacy for some organization or even just this podcast. And so when people take time off from work or they have these um, little side hustles, I think we need to remember to bring those skills in and to look at them from that skill and value-based uh, mentality as opposed to, well, I didn't have a title. I wasn't empl- employed by somebody. I wasn't mm-hmm. making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you, I mean, you, you've 
you now work for Heritage Works, which yes, prior to being introduced to you, I had no idea what the hell that was. So, <laughs> um, it, do you mind talking a little bit about you know how you made the jump there and and how that connects with the experiences that you've already had? Sure. Um, and again, it just continues this this conversation of that you and I were talking about of like building relationships and and those the, the network will move you forward. Um, somebody who uh, a fantastic man named Charlie Toronto, who um, actually does some consulting work with the Florida Panthers right now. Um, <clears throat> he, when I was at the Pistons, was doing consulting work um, with them and also at the same time for the Detroit Lions, where my husband at the time worked. So when we moved from Chicago to the Bay Area um, for my husband's work and I was about to start jo- a job search yet again, he picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, you know, I'm um, I'm working in working and leading this company called Heritage Works. Would you be willing to have a conversation? And of course, I said yes, because this is somebody who I, I trust immensely their their opinion of things. And he would never send somebody down the wrong path. Um and so I started, you know, having conversations and looking into it. But yeah, at, at first glance, it's like, all right, this is a archival agency of record. Like what, what, you know, <laughs> do I, do I, again, I, like I self-admittingly, I'm somewhat OCD. So I'm like, maybe they want me to help organize stuff. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, again, I'm, I'm making, I'm making light of the fact that, that our archivists are very well trained, you know, they're, they work at the level of the Smithsonian museum. So, um, I, I joke about that, that they would never hire me to be an archivist and that is not my specialty, but the position at hand, um, is actually, it's a new position for the company. It's under the community or the, um, the client services team, but it's, uh, being on the West coast with, the, our, um, our vault of archives for our clients is in Atlanta and we have a ton of West coast clients who very, um, proudly store their belongings, their, their cherished belongings with us to keep them safe at at a museum quality level. Um, and we in turn provide them access through a digital portal of those, you know, digitized versions of those belongings, pictures of those belongings, um, to basically give them the opportunity to use it as content. But what we were seeing is with with all of our team mostly being in Atlanta, when somebody had a quick question or boots on the ground needs, it was it was pretty difficult just, you know, even as much as a five hour plane ride in the scheme of life isn't that long, you know, you're basically there and back. It's two days of travel for one of the people in Atlanta to get to the West coast. And so for me to be here to drive um, client relationships forward, but even more so make sure our clients are utilizing what they've already purchased in our services, making sure they understand that fully and are integrating that into their um, day-to-day functions that will help us in spades, you know, when you come to a time of renewal, that they're not thinking of their archives as something that is finite and stored somewhere. They're understanding that we're giving them the tools to pull it through for content, tell stories, um, you know, inform decisions. You know, we're there to make their archives be real and be real time and be uh, advocates for the now. Um so that's, you know, like we talk about timing, relationships, all that. That's how I, I landed with this new position. But 
we were speaking about skills and I understand I took us on a long journey to get there, but when I drilled down on what they were asking of this position, it was relationship building. It was, you know, being sympathetic and understanding how our clients work. It was driving the message of heritage works forward with them and sitting and being ideating and being strategic and how we, um, integrate what we offer them into their daily habit. And that's frankly something I had been doing since Pepperdine. You know, you talk about a signature line, you know, Mm -hmm. I was working with coaches to get them to implement the utilization of a signature line or to, you know, Hey, men's basketball, would you want to have your own Twitter handle, you know, at, at a very, at a much smaller level than like, how do you drive, uh, the history of your organization into current content, um, or into a new building. Um, those are the conversations I'm having now. But again, if you look at those parallels, it's building relationships, building trust, planning, ideating, moving things forward strategically. Um, it, it, it really all boils down to the same thing. We're just talking about different stuff. Heritage Works was um, a big sponsor of the World Congress of Sport this past week. How does that company um, fit with sport? So I think um, at our our core values and at our inception, we mostly worked with large corporations. And um, it was with the addition of a man like Charlie Toronto, who you know, his, his connections are our brand and sport that he really kind of heard what our founder, um, Keir Walton had established and basically was like, this makes so much sense for our sports teams. Again, probably storing different belongings, probably a a different, um, use case scenario for driving content, but, um, you know, everything about it made sense with sport. So the differences with a lot of our corporations, you know, it's, it's a little like fight club. Like you don't talk about it. It's (laughs) internally, internally, they, they know that they have a vendor partner who manages this for them, but externally speaking, it's not something that, you know, you shout to from the rooftops, um, with sports teams, it allowed us to move a little bit from like a secret white label provider to really being a partner that, um, steps forward into the light. Um, and so we're kind of like, it's like our coming out party of like, Hey, we're allowed to say our name now. We're allowed to say that with these sports clients, we partner with them and work with them. And our, our clients and partners have been fantastic in allowing us to do so. Um, in fact, I think it was maybe a year and a half ago, SBJ did a great write up on what we do. Um, And I think, you know, in that article, without having it in front of me, you know, the Dodgers spoke very highly of working with us and just having, as you know, in the sports world, having the validation from a team is huge. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was, again, a new step for our um, our leadership who who didn't grow up cutting its teeth in sport um, for the most part. They were like, oh, you're willing to like talk about us and vouch for us. And again, our other clients, our corporate clients love us. It's just a different ballgame of um, how and when they mention like who their vendors are, for lack of better words. Whereas sports teams, you know, they're used to talking about partnering with um, a brand. They're used to talk about partnering with a concessionaire. And this we're 
we're, we're that provider to them. We're a partner in it, um, in the same goal of driving their, their historic content forward. So we've been really fortunate, but it was, it was great fun to put our name out there and have a lot of people say, Hey, I saw your name up on that, you know, step and repeat. Tell me a little bit more about what you guys do or, Hey, I've heard of you, but I don't quite understand how you're different than, you know, an iron mountain who's just storing boxes. And so I was like, let me tell you about it. Um, and I was luckily there with my immediate boss who runs our client services team. Um, and as well as our, our CEO and founder Kier and executive director, Charlie. So all in all, we had an amazing time meeting new people, progressing conversations that had already started along and then seeing some of our current clients, which is always fantastic to get FaceTime with them. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, you know, I I could see this being something that's really important for like old videos, right? Like who has a VHS Absolutely. player, right? So you need to get Absolutely. it digitized and be able to potentially use it on, you know, for, I don't know, a quick highlight on Instagram or, mm-hmm. I mean, I think about all of the crazy amounts of interesting paperwork that we still have, like Absolutely. Old, old player contracts, right? And, um, which sounds really lame, but you know, you take somebody no. from their rookie year and then they end up being like the all time best X, Y, Z. You that, mean they end up being Jackie Robinson or Wilt Chamberlain. And oh my God, I wish we had that in the archives because yeah. we don't. And it's now you would have to go buy it off of the private market for a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. It's having the foresight to recognize that you need to protect and hold on to like what everybody would think of, of like history, you know, like 50 years plus back. But what we always like to say is, you know, how are you building your, your history right now? So your history, your heritage is something that happened 10 seconds ago. So you have to have that forethought of like the papers that, you know, you're drafting for rookie contracts this year, they're going to matter in 10 years, they're going to matter in 50 years. And we, we keep encouraging our clients or potential clients of, you know, don't, don't keep resting on your laurels saying, well, we don't have a much of a collection now or what we, you know, stuff is gone. It's like, well, do we want to have a conversation in another five years? Because you got rid of the stuff we, that you could have collected five years ago. Um, it's, it's something that it's, it's, it's hard to grasp that papers like what you're describing, um, they can either be of importance just because of whose name is on it, but even like financial documents, um, this is more in our corporate world, but, you know, oftentimes we're looking back at legal, you know, sale of a building document because a company's getting sued that, you know, like um, asbestos wasn't disclosed and we can go pull that old contract and be like, yes, it, yes, it was. And that saves a company millions of dollars from being sued for something that happened 25 years ago. Um, it's, it's, it's looking at the stories that your company and your brand is telling from a multitude of angles and our company really in a fun way, like you said, giving you Instagram fodder, um, it, it helps you there, but it, it can help in a multitude of other ways of, um, financial, legal, um, you know, looking and back at like your old logos. That's probably oh my, my favorite thing. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll pull out like an old memo and, and you'll have teams that'll be like, I I've never seen that logo before. 
you know, we, we all, I think we're all now, you know, accustomed to like an Adidas or a Nike or somebody works with a team and you have, you know, your like primary logo, you have your secondary logo and maybe you have like a vintage throwback logo and that's pretty much it. I mean, back, it was like the wild west. Like people were making up logos left and right. You know, you, you would have a funny one on like off of the president's desk, which is different than what was on a uniform, which was different than what was on the court. And there's so many of those that you uncover. And it's just, it's like, uh, it's like searching for treasures every day. It's just like, what's, what's going to pop up tomorrow. That's going to be the new thing to talk about or the new thing to, to bring to light. That's really funny. I just like, it makes me think about like diaries and stuff like that. That like, you know, you think about like Anne Frank, which I never like to use Anne Frank as an example in anything, but this type of example, like, Mm-hmm. How amazing, right? That we right. we had the opportunity to read that. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, you have these like legendary business people who, if we're lucky enough, we we get a view into those later on, usually after they've passed. Absolutely. Um, but it's, uh, it, that sounds really interesting. And I am, yeah, I am sure uh, you get to see some fun things every once in a while. Well, for, for example, especially based on what, you know, at the, at the core, your, <clears throat> your podcast is about very few people know that I believe it was 1968. I should know this. Um, Franklin Muley, the owner at the time of the Golden State Warriors drafted a high school senior female named Denise Long out of Iowa. The commissioner of the NBA at the time voided the contract, but, um, and, and didn't, didn't ratify her drafting, but Franklin Muley started a women's basketball league called Warrior Girls Basketball League that was in the late 60s, early 70s. And most people don't know that. In fact, no, um, no. there, I mean, it was a precursor to the WNBA that don't, people don't talk about. And I've had the fortunate luck of looking at some old roster sheets of it, some stat, old stat sheets of it. In fact, yesterday I spoke with a former um, player's son. Um, they still live in the Bay Area. They're still season ticket holders, actually, of the Warriors. So we're working with them to see if um, the family would be willing to share uh, some copies of or some of their, their pictures from Shirley's playing days that we could then digitize and add to the Warriors archive collection. Um, but again, like, if you don't keep telling some of these stories as, as big as they seem probably at the time, they get lost. In fact, uh, Denise Long shared that she was on the Johnny Car- Carson show about being drafted. And it's like, you know, that seems like it's it's the biggest amplification that you could imagine. And yet nobody knows that this happened. So it's like even even if you think something is big now that could be completely unforgettable, things get forgotten. And so it's, it's, it's so important to hold on to these stories and document these stories and preserve heritage, um, to make sure that you can tell that moving forwards. And, and, and so that companies and brands truly understand, you know, like the foundation that they're standing on when, when they make an acquisition, when they speak about their, their values and their missions today, it's like, where did that come from? So yeah, just a fun tidbit for you that there was a women's professional basketball league that was a precursor to the WNBA that a lot of people don't know even existed. And yeah, if you have a moment, look up uh, Denise Long 
I believe actually Vice Sports did a nice write up on her. Um, but yeah, she was she was drafted to the NBA. That's incredible. Again, not not raf- not not ratified, but it right. it absolutely happened. Yeah, I'm going to be talking to you about that a little offline because that's really interesting no I, I it it fits with something that I'm contemplating doing so uh which I shall not be announcing on the podcast um <laughs> it's like it's it's early ideation um I I mean I'm just I'm so impressed and and you know love um how your path has gone and um, really appreciate the fact that you've been so kind to, you know, chat with me a few times and um, agree to be on here. Um, as I wrap up, I'm going to ask you the other question I ask a lot of people, which okay. is, what do you do by way of self-care? Oh, interesting. Um, I frankly, this is going to sound super lame, but I just love unplugging and relaxing. Um, usually that entails spending time with friends and family, but, um, I, I feel like we move at such a fast pace where we always have to be on emotionally, um, intellectually, uh, you know, responsive. I love to kind of shut some of that down. So like today, um, as we record this, it's a Saturday and, um, I think my husband and I will probably take our dog to the dog park. We will, um, last weekend we or not last week and the weekend before we, um, planted a vegetable garden. I just, we, we go on hikes. It's just, it's anything to be kind of away from the things that while they move us forward in our careers can also stress us out a lot. So, um, taking, taking that time to, to truly step away from work is, is absolutely my self care. But, um, you know, if you're sending gift certificates and a, a massage or a facial <laughs> is also, <laughs> or a pedicure is, is also something that I, that I love. And if Nordstrom is listening, I'm your number one fan. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've, um, made a point of asking this to most of our guests, just because I think that it can be really important to remember, that we need to take care of ourselves um, and that we need to do things. And I don't always mean in that, you know, fluffy, get a mm-hmm. manicure, you know, bubble bath thing, but like there, you know, some, we all have different things that we do. And even if those are your things, that's great. Like as mm-hmm. long as you're doing something to take that time for yourself and to, to do things that will help you recharge. I think it's important, especially for young women to yes. hear early on yes so that they can start developing those um, habits. Absolutely. I, I think, again, I'll, I'll circle back and, and step away from the, the shameless plug of Nordstrom. And yeah, just, just being giving yourself the, um, the right to unplug and step away. I, I understand that in this day and age, being connected, um, especially when it's, you know, in season or, or something like that, it's, it's expected, but when you have those opportunities to unplug, it's, it's amazing how good it can feel to be present um, with the people that you're with, to be present with the book that you're reading, to be present with the walk that you're on. Um, It's, it's so refreshing and so calming compared to always wondering, you know, when that next vibration from your phone is going to ping, like um, it's, it puts you kind of back in real time versus this constant anticipation of what's next. Right. Uh, and, and I, you know, 
that's that's definitely something that brings me brings me peace and I think reconnects me to my core personal values and, and my core personal relationships. Yeah, I think that's great. And shameless plug of Nordstrom, whatever. I think that's great too. Nordstrom, you want to send me... If it works, yeah. (laughs) You want to send me some stuff, I'll take it. Um, Really, any brand, you want to send me some stuff, I'll take it. Right, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then... um, but DM me, I'll send you my address. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I I really appreciate you coming on and and speaking so candidly. And, um, you know, I think... I think my listeners will get a lot out of it and, um, you know, kind of learn to open their eyes and, and also dig into what it is that they've learned in all of their roles throughout mm-hmm. life in order to, um, to move themselves forward. Love it. Well, thank you for having me today. This has been a fantastic conversation. And, um, again, I think great, great conversations are when you forget that you're being recorded. So <laughs> I forgot that I was being recorded. <laughs> that can be dangerous sometimes, but I know uh, I didn't say anything crazy. No, you're good. Thanks again. Thank you so much to Heather for coming on. Um, we had been trying to schedule this for a while and both of our schedules have been insane. So I was really happy that we were able to do it this, uh, this morning. It's a lovely Saturday morning. Um, I, I think she just has so much insight and um, there was so many good little nuggets in there. So uh, thank you again to Heather. Uh, please make sure you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing, obviously, uh, to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Big thanks to my guys over there, Jerry and Jason, for sticking with me and dealing with some of my procrastination they are going to be thrilled that they're getting this before uh tuesday night (laughs) and um thanks to all of you again as always uh i really appreciate you all um listening and sharing with your friends so again make sure you're rating reviewing and subscribing on apple podcast google play tune in and radio influence Com and check us out on social media. As I said in the beginning, um, we'd really love to interact more with you. So at ltpfpod dot, uh, on all of the social media and email is ltpfpod at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great week. This is a Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill Quick Fix on Radio Influence. He was actually captured not too far from his apartment. Uh, And, you know, some people have questioned that. Well, let's dissect it a little bit. He shows up in his truck. He shoots people. He's disarmed. He runs. He doesn't get back in his truck. So he knows he can't circle back because mm, police are going to be there. So then, guess what? He knows that police are going to find out within minutes that he lives at a certain apartment in Nashville. So guess what? He can't go there. So the only thing he can really do is hide out in the area and hope and pray that eventually he can sneak his way home because he didn't really have a plan here for an escape because his plan, if you think about it, was to kill everyone in there and then just go home like nothing happened. Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.